0: Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan. Today is another fantastic day for you to press that subscribe button down there and the like button because oh, I've got so many beautiful, beautiful humans coming onto my show. And each and every one of them makes this world a little bit better by by showing their transparency authenticity they're they're beautiful the their selves and we can learn so much from them and today is no no different i've got amanda zine with me amanda is a a pediatrician she is a flight surgeon maybe should I say has been a pediatrician has been a flight surgeon and is now transforming uh, not necessarily out of her own volition but she is transforming into a new being and we are getting ringside seats here and finding out more about this this beautiful beautiful woman Amanda Zine. welcome to my show
1: Thank
0: you for having me oh, it's an absolute pleasure um amanda it is uh, we can start your story any which way because it is it is amazing one way or the other to, to start off with you are a, a pediatrician and a flight surgeon so that takes a lot of gusto to actually to actually go from medical school and then go into the military um tell us a bit about that how who did you want to be when you were a a little girl did you want to be a doctor or or did yes excellent
1: um so I've always wanted to be a doctor my whole life that's the only thing I ever wanted to be um and uh I never wanted to be in the military. I wanted nothing to do with it. I told all the recruiters, you know, they come to the school when you're in high school and I no, it's not for me. Um, but uh, my mother talked me into applying for a scholarship uh, when I went to an open house at a private school and I thought, and I'll never get it. So I applied and I got it <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up going to the state school instead Um And, uh, I had a three year scholarship, so I had a year to decide whether or not I wanted to do ROTC and I loved it. I loved every single bit of it. The only people I even talked to anymore from college are the girls that were in my ROTC class that, uh, we, we bonded because obviously we had to compete with the boys and be better. And so I still I still talk to one or two of those. Otherwise, I don't know anyone really from college. Um, Ah, So I interesting.
0: Did the military also fund your your medical education?
1: It did. It did. did. So I had the scholarship for undergrad, and then I had to apply for another scholarship Mm. for medical school. Mm. I actually commissioned as a second lieutenant Mm. um, in December of two thousand two. Had an educational delay to go to medical school, had a scholarship for that. And then I recommissioned in 2007 Mm. um, as a physician um, in the medical corps Mm. and then went to residency with the military.
0: Beautiful. I mean, it is um, having studied medicine on my own uh, and coming from poor backgrounds. my. i was about 66000 deutschmark in debt and that was that uh, was already reduced because i was amongst the best in medical school so they did. they, they about a third or so comes off your your right. um your fees but uh bottom line is it is a huge chunk of money and at least someone was paying that for you so there's there's not the the pressure of oh my god how will i ever recoup that money and pay it back okay <laughs> no
1: so. there's the, there's the thought of oh my god i owe eight years to the army <laughs> Well,
0: touche 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 because but, they but, you they, know
1: i I have loved my, my army. I, I would not trade what I did for anything. I have met amazing people. I have seen amazing. I think, I think one of the things with being in the military and I've gone on, um, what's called a med ret, which is a, a medical mission. When I was in residency, um, I had, I had the opportunity. I, I, I lucked out that my schedule met up with when it was happening and I went to Thailand for 16 days and 2004 uh, to see Mm. the, um, the, the medical care that is not received over there to see, it was amazing as a pediatrician to see some of the things that you only see in textbooks. Mm. Um, but then even when i was in afghanistan and iraq and taking care of soldiers at that time because i was in my flight surgeon role when i was deployed um as soon as people found out i was a pediatrician up went my name on the board with my roshan phone number they'd be calling me out of meetings <laughs> and i'd be like sir, can i go to this meet can i go they they got a kid over at the fst and they'd be like get out of here and so um I, and I was I was supposed to be the expert and I was five months out of residency and scared to death. I have a full bird colonel who's a general surgeon asking me questions. And I'm like, uh, yes, sir. I, of course, I know the answer. You know, um, it was it was pretty amazing. Some of the things that you see and and so many things we take for granted, um, which we all do. I do every single day so many things we take for granted that those people just don't even know exist.
0: Mm. Oh, yes. So, so so right. So right. We are so blessed. Uh, Over, over my career, I've been, been to West Africa. Um, I've been, I've been doing transport medicines, a flight medicine here in, in New Zealand, and uh, this is—I uh, I had to laugh when he was saying, uh, "Yes, yes, I know what's going on," <laughs> because I, re- I remember a trip flying to Fiji from here, from from New Zealand, to get a encephalitis uh, child, a young woman, um, and over the phone. Oh, yeah, we've stabilized her. Everything is all right. Yeah, yeah, she's intubated, ready for you to pick up. We came there. It was Fiji. It, Fiji is is some parts of Fiji are really third world, and this hospital was not <laughs> was not different. And there was nothing. Seriously, nothing. The, the child was not prepared. There was nothing happening, and I had to start from scratch. And it was pucker factor oh, stomach the size Absolutely. of a marble and five hours in a plane with an unstable child is yeah uh time is flying when you're having fun you're not that's the opposite okay no so. i
1: i understand completely my first medevac mission so so basically a little history for folks that don't understand or know um as a pediatrician in the Army, you are a general surgeon. As a general, or not a general surgeon, I'm sorry, a general practice doc. Um, and as a general practice doc, you can be a brigade surgeon, a flight surgeon, a, a battalion surgeon. Basically, all that means is that you are a doctor for the uh, soldiers that are in that battalion or brigade. It does not mean that you are doing surgery in the back of a helicopter, as my mother was telling people. I was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) But anyway, uh, so I deployed five months out of residency. It was not my choice. I drug my feet. I hated every minute of it. And it is probably the best thing that ever could have happened to me. Uh, It really let me see how the real army worked. It gave me a one-up on other docs that are in the hospital that have only worked in the hospital. They haven't been out there. They haven't seen what the, the soldier is going through. So here you've got a pediatrician who understands what the parent is going through and you've got a pediatrician who has no clue. And there's a, there's a big difference Um, and you understand more about just how everything works. Um, I was completely clueless when I first went. My uh, PA thank God for him. He was prior active duty he so he was a medic and then he got out became a chiropractor civilian then came back in and did the PA program in the army so he had all of these skills and the military know-how and we were the perfect team Fantastic. We worked so well together. He put up with my craziness.
0: <laughs> just um, one second, just for, for people with, with all the acronyms and all the abbreviations. Oh, yes. PA is not the personal assistant. It's the <laughs> physician's assistant. And that is- yeah, often, I wish. And then, um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My, yeah, my pedicure. Come on. <laughs> I'm, still,
1: I'm still waiting for the personal assistant.
0: Well, exactly. Um, no, physician assistant <laughs> is basically like an anesthetic technician for an anesthetist. You can work as a team with a very advanced trained uh, person who is not a doctor, but who often can take on roles and has often got a, an insight that is uh, just what you need in such times.
1: So he actually, um, in the military, uh, in, in the States, we actually, uh sometimes don't have a doc with them and are the only medical. Some of our PAs I might rather go to than some of the docs. Um, I I've had amazing physicians, Um, but I have also had amazing nurse practitioners and my favorite primary care manager was a nurse practitioner, Beautiful. Uh, my own personal provider. So we have some pretty awesome people, uh, that prac that I've practiced with across the board. And, and that's one of my biggest pet peeves when docs don't give, uh, the mid-level pro- providers, the chance to show them how amazing they are. No, 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 they, yeah. Oh, cause my PA, oh my gosh, he was, he was a lifesaver. Mm-hmm. He really, well, and I was soft and all the soldiers knew it because I wasn't used to being with soldiers. <laughs> and so there was a lot of um, trying to get things by the new girl uh, and the first time I was actually hard on a soldier, after the soldier left, he started laughing and came into my office and said, Wow, I wouldn't have even been that hard. I said, If they're not going to do what I tell them to do, why should I help them? She <laughs> was supposed to go over and get physical therapy, and she hadn't, but wanted me to continue a profile. And I said, If you're not trying to get better, why should I keep profiling you? We have to work together on this. And so, um, interestingly enough, I believe, no, first deployment was the Aussies. Second deployment, I did work with some Kiwis at the, um, at the role two, um, which is basically for those who don't know, uh, basically a hospital in the field. Um, so we did have some some New Zealanders and Aussies at that at that facility. I have a kiwi patch.
0: oh, oh hey, there you go. <laughs> You've got a good taste. That's all I can say. <laughs>
1: yeah, they, I, I had I had two really good deployments. I I did fly medevac. I saw some danger, um, but I I could not have asked for things to go better. Uh, When I did fly medevac, I got most of the kids, which was funny. Mm. My PA would end up when he was on medevac, they would have the bad calls. And I would have more of the kids that Mm. honestly, sadly, were mostly child abuse. Um, A lot of child abuse. Um,
0: Afghanistan or or Iraq or both? Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Afghanistan.
1: I didn't fly medevac in Iraq. Um, I was the only flight practicing flight surgeon in Iraq the nine months I was there. Mm. It was interesting. Mm. Um, But uh, in Afghanistan, I flew medevac about the first two thirds to three fourths. Mm. Uh, then my PA went up to a a northern um, forward operating base where they needed someone with a higher skill level mm. than what the um, Special Forces um, 18 Delta medic mm. had because during the winter um, it was harder to get flights in and out, mm. and so they needed someone that could hold on to those more sure. critical patients that had more experience, and so mm. um, my PA. I, volunteered to go up there and so I lost him so I stopped flying medevac so that I could be with my soldiers as well as the rest of the the forward operating base I was on because I was the only flight surgeon on that base so I took care of the air force and all of the flight qualified um, folks
0: so wow and it's, oh, yeah. it, it's that huge diversity you have when you're in such a position. You have absolutely no clue what is coming around the corner, and it is as an anesthetist, I'm I'm privileged because I can focus. They. Uh, they call me when shit hits the fan. So as amongst doctors, the anesthetists are a little bit like the special forces. So whenever uh, the other guys are in trouble, oh, we need the anesthetist. One, because we have got certain skills about airway and intensive care that make us, uh, yeah, make us good brothers in arms when when shit hits the fan. So therefore, I can hone in on that. And I became very good in that, and I became addicted to it. Really, the trauma aspect and being in ED, and it was good fun. Uh, and I became uh, instructor and teacher for all these kind of things. That's easy because it's actually a very narrow field. You, however. You, they ask you, well, I've got this shoulder. That hurts me. And I've got a bit of a trouble down there. Six hours later, that little trouble is life-threatening. And you have to figure out 99%, oh, that's just a bad period, or that 1% that will die if you don't take action. Mm-hmm. Now, that, I don't know how you guys do it, okay? So <laughs> simply that. So kudos well, where, it, um- where it belongs,
1: Since my head injury, uh, it's, it's been a little bit difficult. Um, the, the cognition, the, the, the intelligence is still there. Um, but I have a really hard time with anxiety Mm. and stress, any kind of stressful situation. Um, I have a hard time with finding words. Mm. So even practicing the neonatal resuscitation Mm. program to actually do like the the code situation practicing Mm. on the plastic baby uh i couldn't remember the words for the procedure i wanted them to do Mm. and so it's like nope done no. Like before done. we I'm-
0: before we come to that, it, what I was trying to do is I was trying to to paint the picture of Amanda Zine out oh, there, sorry. who who sort of was growing from this yeah from 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 a girl into a woman into an a, a badass basically uh, <laughs> because you have to be in that environment, like it or lump it. So you were growing, and she became, to a certain degree, some features of this alpha male environment you take on and it it there's a certain amount of pride because all that Absolutely. fear all that fear that is that you see with every single case the uncertainty the the kind of oh my god the little voice that tells you what are you doing here run um and you overcome all that and you help you help people and you look in the mirror and think have i done that mm-hmm. and it's cool it's really really cool and it's beautiful so you you do all that hard work with yourself you steal yourself you become that new person and then life interferes then some shit hits the fan your tbi tell us about that tbi traumatic brain injury we yes. too are bad yes. we, are, we, are, we are the typical doctors oh yeah let's talk about let's abc <laughs> to cdo yeah, right? and or to, right. to, 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 to no uh, and no one says what so, the fuck
1: <laughs> <right>. <laughs> the tbi so, traumatic um, brain injury <laughs> i so i ended up um i had two deployments um one in 2011 and one in 2016 And uh, in between, worked in the hospital um, in 2019, that's when I went to Iraq, uh, came back, and I held a chief position in a few different places. And I ended up uh, becoming chief of pediatrics in 2018. And I was chief of pediatrics for about six months. (laughs) And when I skating with my family and I'd never been on hockey skates before and I took figure skating lessons when I was a kid. So I knew what I was doing and I had no clue that hockey skates are not sharp. They're not sharp like um, figure skating skate, like figure skating skates. You can Slice something hockey skates are totally different and I fell three times um the first time I didn't hit my head the second time I don't remember hitting my head but my husband says I hit my head really really hard and the third time I remember hitting my head and I was sitting there and I hit my head so hard that my glasses flew off and someone put them in my hand and I'm sitting here looking at them like (laughs) what just happened? So I got the, the look, get off the ice. Uh (laughs) And he, he helps me up and he gets me off the ice. We're going to the ER. I'm like, no, we're not going to the ER. We don't need to go to the ER. And so I'm divorced and he's divorced. Our kids were all in town. He was getting ready to deploy. And we had paid for two hours of ice skating, and this was my first lap. We were not leaving. So (laughs) I sat down on a bench and they finished their ice skating. I I promised him I wouldn't get back on. Well, then about halfway through, I tried to get back on. And as soon as I put my foot down and with pressure, it still did that, like, did this, I was like, okay, never mind. I won't get on. He's like, go sit down. So I went and I sat down. I I was not right. The kids, the kids will tell you I was not right. Matter of fact, the next day they were joking around and laughing about it, about how goofy I was. Uh, I should have gone to the ER, but I didn't want one of our last days together to be spent in the ER. I wanted the kids to spend time with, you know, with my husband and, He was getting ready to leave. I wanted him to be able to spend time with all of us. So we went home and he watched over me. And then the next day I had a headache. And then the next day I had a headache and I just kept taking Excedrin migraine. And then comes the day he's supposed to deploy. And I said, "Um, I have a headache again. And he says, probably because you have post-concussive syndrome. And I said, nah, I don't have anything. I'm fine. I just have a headache. It's like, you've been living on and migraine. You have had headaches since you hit your head. You need to go see a doctor. I was like, nah, I'll be fine. So I tried to go back to work. And initially that was okay because I had a resident working with me who was doing all of the major work. <laughs> I was just, you know, following yeah. sure everything looked good. And she was awesome. And so I didn't really have to do a lot. I didn't have to get up and run to anything until the first time I had to get up and run to something. And I nearly passed out. I already had an appointment set for the doctor because my husband had been nagging me by then he was in Iraq and literally nagging me from Iraq. I was like, no, I'm done with this. I was like, fine, I'm going to the doctor. So I made an appointment. I went to the doctor and the doctor said. You need a CT. And I said, I can't have a CT. I said, someone's covering the floor for me for like half an hour while I'm up here. And I gotta go back to work. He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you need a CT. You call them and tell them that they're covering for you longer. And so I got her to cover for me for another like hour and a half. Got the CT. It was read as in you know, not normal, but uh what's the word? Uh, unremarkable. Yeah. 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 And I said, okay, see, I'm fine. No big deal. He's like, you need brain rest. You should have had brain rest from the beginning. You need brain rest. I said, I work Sunday and it's now Friday. And he's like, "Uh, you need 72 hours brain rest. I said, I'll give you 48. (laughs) So I got 48 hours brain rest. I told him I have to work on Monday. I told another provider I would take her Monday clinic if she could work my night because my husband's deployment time changed because everything changes in the army. And I wanted to be able to be there rather than be at work. So I went to work and about three-fourths of the way through the day, my nurse came in with my last patient. Um, Luckily, I did not have a full clinic schedule. It was a a decreased schedule. Um, She came in and said, I'll find somebody else to see your patient. You, You don't look good. And at that point, I called my boss and said, all my notes are done. Someone's seeing my last patient. My sister-in-law is picking me up. I I don't feel right. And he said, well, basically, he gave me the biggest ass-chewing of my life for being at work that day. Good. Good. And, oh, he's the most amazing man I've ever worked with, worked for. He has since retired, and my husband is now in his position as chief of primary care. And now he is a civilian working for my husband
0: <laughs>
1: and my PCM. What's
0: Just a PCM? He's my boss
1: now, he's my doctor.
0: Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, primary he's care. Primary, he's, my,
1: he's my primary care manager. <laughs> um, so he, he, uh, he's, he's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> See, and and
0: there is there is a problem here already. There's, uh, there is uh, listening to you. You are a woman. Who has emancipated herself, who has grown into an authority figure, into you were not that little girl, you were a woman. Yeah, I'm a flight surgeon. Now move aside. I tell you what to do. Now that is the worst fucking patient I can imagine. Because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes, so,
1: yes, yes. Okay, well, I
0: know it all better. No, no, no. They, that's always, they
1: always say doctors are the worst patients, I know. right?
0: And, and especially so, doctors who have taken advanced roles or right. have been in, in places where they were not uh, monocoddled and, and protected in a big system called hospital. But the moment you leave the hospital and are in primary care or where you are alone, or God forbid, in a forward uh, operating base or on a, on, a, on a helicopter alone, that is when you grow. That is when you truly wow. become different.
1: Well, we- Believe it or not, I was never, well, once. I got thrown on the chase bird once. For the most part, I was not alone on the helicopter. And you would be surprised at how well guarded and protected the doctor is. As soon as I stepped foot on a bird, helicopter, the medic who is the expert in the back of that helicopter
0: Hmm.
1: would look at me and go, (laughs) don't you dare step foot off of this helicopter you are valuable sit your ass down I'm in charge (laughs) I mean that is basically the way they regarded us and you really had to gain the respect Uh, of those medics and and let them know that you respected them Hmm. and that that was truly their place But you were there to have their back if they needed you. Absolutely. And I never had a situation ever Mm. where I did not 100% agree with what my medics were doing Mm. and where I had to step in while I was on a bird.
0: Very Um, beautiful to see.
1: And then the one time I had to leave, that medic that day had told me, don't get off this bird. And then we land and he throws me an aid bag and... points at the other helicopter I was like what do you want me to do you told me not to get off and now you want me to get off (laughs) but we had too many patients so um so I grabbed the aid bag and Mm. and but but I got lucky I treated Mm. one one service member from America Mm. and that was an accident it was not major it was not War related. It was my PA got all those types of calls. I got my very, very, very first call was a baby that had swallowed a button battery. (laughs) Now, you know, they don't have TVs in the middle of Afghanistan. Guaranteed (laughs) that was from an IED. Guaranteed. Mm. detonator mm. um so uh fuck, fuck. i had fuck. already taken care of a kiddo mm. in residency so i had all the facts and i knew that this kid depending on how long had been there had very little chance of a normal life especially in afghanistan So we fly up there, we get the kid, I'm freaking out. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I wasn't sure if it was in the esophagus, you know, did they swallow it? Did they inhale it? And it's in the trachea and blocking off the airway and I'm freaking out. This is my first medevac flight. I didn't even get the brief. Usually prior to your 24 hour shift, you get the go, no, go brief where they give you, you know, the weather and moonlight and all of the things, you know, all of the codes and passwords, if you were to get captured, and all that stuff. Mm. I didn't get any of that because literally as I'm walking to that brief, this call came in and I hear, get the doc, we need the doc. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> I'm like, this is my first flight ever. Mm-hmm. My My stuff is on the other bird because they were getting ready to change and so that bird was going to be the one that would be coming up first so I had to run back get my stuff run back and it's not easy to run in all of this stuff especially when you're short like I am I can't even step into a helicopter I have to get in with everybody joked around about my knees being bruised take that as you will because I had to lift my leg up and get on my knee to pull myself up into the helicopter because I was too short to just step up, especially with all this gear on. And so I get in and I'm sitting there and I've got everything and I'm too nervous to ask what's going on because it was my first flight and I didn't know all of these people all that well because we'd only been in country for maybe three weeks and they were a National Guard unit that was working with us. So I hadn't known these guys very long at all. And I'm like, okay. So I'm listening. And then I hear the button battery and I'm like, okay, I'm going over my protocols. I'm like, none of these are helpful. None of these, none of these are, you know what you need to do. You're good. You've got this. No big deal. Of course, it's the longest flight you can possibly have. It's the furthest place away from us. So I'm freaking out the whole time. The dad gets on holding the baby and the baby's pink and crying. And I'm like, exactly the baby swallowed the button battery five days prior now according to the national button battery hotline yes there is one in the united states because that many kids swallow batteries greater than eight to ten hours means they're going to have devastating after effects well this baby it took us a while to get it out the anesthetist and the, um, cardiothoracic surgeon who brought a pair of alligator clips over that were like really long, but teeny. Um, and the other head doc that was at the, uh, forward surgical team. Um, yeah, there was a cardiothoracic surgeon who hung out in our hospital. Um, you never know what you're going to have. And so, um, they finally got it. took a good 45 minutes to get that battery out. And I said, this kiddo is likely not going to make it. That's been there entirely too long. And they called me two days later when the baby mm-hmm. was in organ failure. And so there was not much we could do. Um, obviously, we did everything we could, uh, but... I mean, that was the cases with most of the kids. Most of the kids we picked up were burns or falls. And it's like, it was sad. It was really sad. And I would have to take off my pediatrician hat and put on my flight surgeon hat to make decisions of, do we even go get the kid? Is it worth putting my team in danger? That's five individuals flying, sometimes four individuals flying that do I put all of those people in danger to go get this one hearts and minds mission patient that likely won't live anyway? And that was probably one of the hardest, hardest um, type of decisions I had to make while deployed. Um, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, but again, the, the things you see over there are, are, it's heartbreaking to see the broken bones that now are so infected because they weren't set properly. That now the kiddo has to have surgery, and the um, the the kids that are dipped in a hot liquid and scalded, the kids that fall fall off the mountain and have head injuries. Um, I diagnosed a kiddo with a with a heart defect, who was two years old, and that would have been found within the first four months in the United States. So, yeah, it was eye opening, very eye opening.
0: That's very hard, isn't it? And if you look at at many television series, and there are the supposed conflict of doctors uh, acting like gods no one realizes that there are times, especially when you're in such countries, where you essentially do have to do that. And that is not because of some ego trip, but because as you quite rightly say, if you have got a cloud cover, then and you have to fly into the mountains, and and you've got four people there, and you hear about a story where you think, great, there's no chance, what Mm -hmm. do you do? What do you do? there may be the tiny tiny chance and or there might be the chance that you are splattered over a mountainside and never to be returned in one piece to the United States.
1: Well, so, and then you have to think about the fact that what's what's the enemy doing in that area?
0: Right. Is
1: there a possibility that that we could have, you know, certain areas we had to have um gunships go with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it it was interesting. It was very interesting. Were these
0: decisions uh, haunting you later?
1: No, actually, no, I believe it or not. uh, Honestly, I believe God only gives you what you can handle. And I know that if I would have gone on a couple of the flights that my PA went on, I would not have been able to handle it after the fact. In the fact, like in in when I had to be there and do what I had to do, I would have been okay, but I would have been broken, incredibly broken afterwards. I would not Hmm. I would not have done well. Uh, So I thank God that he got those calls. And what's funny is, or I guess ironic, he says the same thing about all the calls I went on with the kids. (laughs) He says, "I don't know how you did it. I could
0: not have that." Oh yeah. And so
1: we were the perfect we were the perfect pair. We were we worked really great together, and I am so thankful he was with me because he really taught me a lot. Um, and my second deployment, I was by myself. I didn't have a PA. I was it. I had two medics that worked with me. Um, I had three initially, and then one left, and so. Um, it was me and then I had other docs that I could call um, but in my in my vicinity it was it was just me so I learned a lot from him and he made my second sorry
0: how do you how do you deal what techniques did you use to learn with with waves of anxiety at that time when your brain was working well when you were happy with with yourself how did you deal with the well, we have got a um 15-year-old uh drive-by shooting who was highly pregnant, intoxicated, uh and you get this kind of list of things and you think what the, what, what ah. um, how I do you deal think...
1: with it So so my big thing, I did a lot of mother baby. So a lot of mine was um you know, we have a, you know, 32-weeker who just rolled in and We're not sure how far along mom is. Mm. We may be delivering this baby in the next 30 minutes Mm. um, at a small hospital where I don't have the ancillary services. Oh, by the way, it's in the middle of the night. It's always in the middle of the night. It's never when we have all staff. So, of course, my respiratory therapist isn't there and I don't have anybody who can do. I mean, you know what I mean? So how do
0: you deal with that pressure? I never,
1: you know what? I didn't have, I didn't think about it. I Uh, didn't think about it. So if I got called to something, it was just gotta go. It was just immediate. And I just did it. And now I don't even know that the anxiety is creeping up. Uh, I don't even know it's there until I can't function. I start feeling like I'm off balance or dizzy almost. I start losing words. Uh When we were working on the baby, it was um, the baby needed a needle decompression. It had a collapsed lung. And I kept telling my team, we need the thing. We need the thing, the thing, you know, the thing. We need the thing to do the thing. We gotta do the thing. And I'm pointing at the intercostal space, where we need to stick the needle. And in the heat of the moment, I cannot for the life of me remember the word needle decompression. And none of the people on the team, of course, because it's whoever is there taking the course, they're not people I normally work with. And and I used to be, I might be biased, but I think I was a pretty darn good mother baby doc. I worked days for quite a while when we, we lost one of our neonatal nurse practitioners, um, to cancer. Um, she, she passed on Christmas morning. I was actually working one of her shifts because I was filling in until we could. And, um, I ended up working eight months, um, as in her place cause I was the easiest person to kind of move into that place. And, um, I loved it. I love the babies. The babies are my favorite. Um, but I can't do it now. And I flat out told the hospital, I can't do this. I don't even want to be put in the position of of being the person up there because I cannot be the person who has to save the baby's life. And they were like, yeah, no, we're not putting you up there anyway. <laughs> They're like, not until you can prove to us, you know. Mm. Um, So I haven't even renewed um, my, my neonatal resuscitation because I probably won't ever do it again.